Well, let me start by introducing you. Uh, Greg Gibson is the proprietor of Ten Pound Island Book Company, based in Gloucester, Mass., home of the Wicked Tuna, the Perfect Storm, Captain's Courageous. Because you specialize in nautical books. Indeed. And manuscripts. And manuscripts. And so that's the topic of our conversation today. What exactly defines a nautical book? Uh, that's a good question for a specialist, because if the definition is too narrow, the specialist starves to death. So I've uh, had to um, exercise considerable ingenuity in expanding that definition. And in fact, uh, in the parlance of the trade, they're sometimes referred to as wet books. So if it's got water in it or near it or somehow refers to it, I'll try to sell it. So why, why nautical? Um, well, when I went into the uh, book business in 1976, I had no idea what I was doing, of course, and I thought, oh, I'll sit in my shop and smoke a pipe and write novels because I'll have plenty of time to... Um, and, of course, that was just ridiculous. But you did write novels. I did, but not, boy, not in, not in that way. Mm. But uh, I soon found out that it's uh, my customers who were educating me, not the other way around. And because uh, Gloucester is a seaport town, many of my early and uh, most enthusiastic customers were looking for books about ships and the sea. And uh, although I'm not a yachtsman or anything like that, the, the, the idea sort of appealed to me. And I began learning more and more from my customers, the book collectors, other Maritime dealers schooled me, and uh, it, it just seemed like it was a specialty that was uh, congenial to my own interests. Now, what about Maddie Needle, John Thompson, and uh, Louis Howland? Well, Howland was my first contact uh, with the trade. He had recently retired as an editor at Little Brown, and having spent a lifetime as a yachtsman, came into my shop and told me what he was looking for and we struck up a friendship and he was very uh, careful to in the most transparent manner tell me what it was that he was buying that he could resell because he knew the more that the more knowledge I had the better I'd be able to supply him with stuff so after about because he was a book scout he was in, he ran a company called uh, Howland and Company, and he sold fine, rare yachting books to his fine, rare yachting clientele, mm -hmm. in which he was deeply involved. I mean, it's a, it's a narrow circle, but it's a, a, a passionate interest kind of people. So yeah. those were with his, lots of deep pockets. A fair amount of deep pockets, uh, but there's a lot of uh, there, there's some also some uh, counterbalancing uh, Yankee cheapness going on at the same time. It's a it's a <laughs> delicate it's a delicate mix. <laughs> Anyway, after a while, um, we started doing business together sometimes, you know, buying stuff together or swapping stuff back and forth, and, you know, it de developed in that normal collegial way. What was he looking for, though? Yachting. Yacht Just, yachting so what does that mean, then? Um, photographs? Photographs, for sure, by the great um, masters of uh, early yachting photography, Stebbins and Beckon of Cows and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And in the, to fill in the spots, there were endless, it seemed, at that time, 
books about yachting cruises that people had written. Uh, there were books about building yachts. His family. So, so those travel books, you mean? Like yeah, which they, cruises are the best and rating them and that kind of thing? Uh, no, my, my cruise to Denmark or my oh, sail around England. So a memoir kind of. That sort of thing, yeah. Okay. Uh, but inevitably, it involved one's interaction with the yacht. And I think that was the, the key thing. That's why people collected this stuff and liked to read them. Well, yeah. how did this guy sail to uh, Tahiti on his 27-foot catcher? It, it just so technical uh, A little of that. A little, and, yeah, a little adventure, uh, a lot of philosophizing. I, these guys are just given to, I guess, when you spend all your time looking out <laughs> yeah. over the ocean, you get... And the stars. Melville would say yeah. your profound thoughts, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> anyway, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, Chichester, yeah. too, comes to mind. Chichester, yeah. 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 yeah, for sure. He was a... Uh, well, around the world, of, yeah. master of that sort of uh, reporting, and, yeah. and it is—it's a memoir, but it's also an adventure book. And there's a little technical stuff in there. Yeah. Sailing alone around the world by Joshua Slocum, a brilliant—one uh, of the immortal books in any field. And it was just about a guy in a boat. And why is it immortal? Because Slocum was a brilliant writer, and he just had a brilliant way of perceiving things, and a wonderfully economical, laconic, old sort of Yankee way of telling it with humor and, and depth at the same time. Just, a, just a, if you haven't read it, you should. Who published it? Um, let me see, 1902 Century. It appeared first in Century Magazine, I think in the late 90s, and then was a book around, around the turn of the century by Century uh, Publishers. And it hasn't been out of print since, or sort of like that. Yeah, I mean, okay. probably not. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly one of the best-selling uh, books of, that, of its kind ever. Okay. Yeah. Now, how big is this market for uh, nautical? Like, I, I'm surprised that they're not big enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, let's, if the collectors had their say, it's too big. Let's distinguish between what used to be the market: uh, these guys sitting around with their pipes in front of their fires and. Uh, buying books from Howland's catalogs, yeah. and scholarly interest in maritime history, which is mostly what I provide now, since those old Yankees that used to buy those books have pretty much died off, okay. and uh, no institution is buying books because they have everything they need. So what are they buying? They're buying manuscripts, artifacts, ephemera that contribute to the historical record, so that if they've got a graduate student or a professor who's researching something, 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 and I have a manuscript that fills that need, they buy it, and it's, it's historical. So this would material. be, again, a manuscript of, uh, well, like, ship logs sure, and stuff ship like log, that. a whaling log, uh, letters, business files, ledgers. Okay. So my model for the last maybe 10 or 15 years is I buy things that don't exist and sell them to people who don't know they want them. And that's been, uh, that works, that works. So you're going to have to unpack that, especially the stuff that doesn't exist. That's, uh, well, uh, consider... That's, that's uh, magic, isn't it? Consider a, uh, a sailor's journal that's been languishing in an attic in Ohio for 150 years, and somehow I find out about it and I buy it. So how's the somehow? Um, well, after having been in the business for 40 years and... Uh, writing checks that don't bounce, um, you accumulate a certain credibility and the people call me. 
or just because you've, you've specialized. So yeah, yeah. Well, Gibson will know what to do with this. I and see. he'll write me a check that won't bounce, and I can take it to the bank, and I don't have to wait thirty days. And you know, okay. it's that sort of thing. Right. But I also, I do still scout myself, book fairs, and you know, when I'm on the road, I'll, if there's a place to look, I'll look. Yeah. In any event, until I actually find it, figure out what it is, and describe it. There's a sense in which it hasn't existed. It's not a part of the historical record. Right. So I right. found something that didn't exist. So you're making history. I'm identifying history. I'm not yeah. making it. Well, and yeah. then I call up. You're making people aware of history. Yeah. yeah. And then I call up uh, whatever institution and I say, Joe, uh, Nigel, uh, I've got something I think you'd be interested in. Well, you had no idea that you'd be interested in it until I explained to you what it was. Yeah. And then you say, yeah, you know, Greg, you're right. I, I'm interested in that. I think I'll buy that. So yeah. I buy things that don't exist and sell them to people who don't know they want them. Okay. That's a very nice little uh, so far, So far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> what about, as I say, I mentioned these, these three individuals who were book scouts. What did they teach you? Well, everything. Matt and John were two of the earliest uh, people in the trade that I ever met. And as I say, I started out in Europe. I, I have this imagining, and I don't know if it's true, but that if one were interested in being a bookseller, one would go to work for an established firm yeah. and learn the business. In America, there was no such, uh, you know, uh, prior to Colorado Antiquarian Book School and Rare Book School, there, there, were, there was no institutional means we're doing this. So yeah. people like me would start out completely unschooled, unaware yeah. of anything that was going on, and we had to learn as best we could. And the way we learned was by following the example of more established dealers. Well, plus your prey to them, too. They can come in and pick out all sorts of stuff that you... And they did indeed. And they did yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, but, but <laughs> that teaches you something. It, it certainly does. Yeah. And I don't, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a problem with that at all. Because without that thing, number one, I wouldn't be able to pay the rent. And number two, I'd have no idea what to be looking for. So maybe two weeks after I first opened my little shop, Needle came through, you know, prowling like a shark in the sea and bought that and bought that and bought that and might have even paid me in cash and disappeared. He was back two weeks later and after a few months it sort of dawned on me, hey, this guy is looking for stuff that I know how to find. So you want to feed him? Feed him, feed him, feed him, yeah. yeah. And then at some point, inevitably, as happened with Howland, there was a day when he had something to sell to me. So it becomes a, you know, a two-way relationship and um, that's what makes this trade go round. Right. I'd been in business maybe a year, and this fellow pulls up in a pickup truck with his girlfriend, and they're sleeping in the truck when they have to, and they're driving around the country. Now get this, this I had no idea that this was even possible to do, and when yeah. I saw someone who was doing it, it blew my mind. He was buying books from people and selling them to other people while he was driving around. For more money. For more money, yes. And I was like, oh my God. And, you know, the, This is a dream. Uh, windows, doors flying open. And so uh, somehow we also hit it off personally and uh, they became uh, uh, dear friends to my wife and I. Uh, yeah. That 
the lady he was traveling with it was, became his wife, and uh, you know, we just hit it off. We still now. It, how, how long ago was that? That was a while back. Uh, 1977, I want to say, maybe okay. something now, like that. Because of the internet, is that still possible? I have no idea. I'm an old because man. I you don't know anyone yeah. that's driving around in a truck like that. Uh-uh. Right? We don't. It, we we can't do that anymore and make it work the way it worked. Because everyone knows what the prices are. No, because n there are no places to stop. Yeah. Thompson had come up. He he ran a, a pretty healthy uh, retail business down in Georgetown. And he'd go out and do the Midwestern swing, and then he'd come up to New England, and we'd spend days driving around, going to auctions, stopping at small shops, visiting dealers with, you know, closed uh, collections and so forth. And he'd go back with a truck full of books. That's how yeah. we did it. Yeah. Couldn't do that anymore. It just, there are no, everybody who's doing it has all the stuff online anyway, so. Right, I, and the doors are closed to their houses. Uh, in some cases, in some cases not, but you yeah. don't need to go to their house to uh, to find it. So I've I've still got scouts. In the day, I had scouts who would bring stuff in to me. Right yeah, yeah. now, I've got two or three scouts who email me a URL. Okay, hey, Greg, check this out. Right? Check this out, and yeah. if you buy anything, give me a percentage. Or let's buy it together, or just uh, think of me next time you so forth and so on. Okay. So it's the mechanism's sort of the same, but the manner in which it's conducted is completely is gone. You know, you can't. Wife and I used to. February in New England is bleak, so we used to go out and do the San Francisco small show, and then drive down to L.A. and do the big show, or vice versa. Scout all the way down. Yeah. You know, yeah. from from. That's so much Washington fun. Washington State uh, to San Diego. And I guess, and would you f obviously, you would find more nautical books on the coast than you would anywhere else? No, not, ne not necessarily oh, at all. Okay. No, no. no, in fact, a lot of, a lot of, for example, uh, whaling logs that I buy turn up in the Midwest because the families moved, you know, they, they had a chance to uh, buy a farm or, you know, and they brought the chest with them that had all granddad's interesting stuff, and all of a sudden it's in a little auction in Western Pennsylvania or you know Indiana, and yeah, there it is. So there's no, there's no strict geographical correlation anymore. But what there was was shops all the way down the West Coast. I mean, Peter Howard, you could spend a day there, and yeah. when he closed and departed the scene, you know, it wasn't as good in Berkeley as it as it had been. It wasn't as possible yeah. in Berkeley. Uh, Ian, what's his name, his, his dear friend there, you know, there was still a little bit, then he died, and then there was less and less and less. The same all up and down the coast, Warrenbach in San Diego. I could spend a day there, and it was a good day, and, you know, he died, he's gone. I don't like to no. harp on that. It just no. sounds like an well, old man's lament. You want to talk about how good it was, but today's different, and in many ways just as good. Is that fair? I'm still paying the rent. I well, mean, you just told me you've, you're cooking here at the Boston Book Fair. Yes, this year's a good show. Which is something you can't really predict. No. To some degree, it depends on the material that you bring, but you also need a buyer on the other end of that. Somebody has on to come On the other end of the it, line. Yeah, and write you the check. Right. Uh, the other reason I do these fairs is uh, to buy material, and that's something that totally out of your control. This year was great. I found some wonderful stuff. Some years, nothing. The great uh, Lou Weinstein, uh, his formula for calculating how successful a book fair he had, he'd add, he'd take the number that he sold, the dollar amount that he sold, and add it to the dollar amount that he spent. That was the number that dictated the level of 
the book fair. Formula, yeah. Obviously, Moby Dick is a big name, uh, Treasure Island. When I was a kid, I read The Swallows and Amazons uh, books Arthur by Ransom. Arthur Ransom, oh, yeah. and the covers yeah. on those are gorgeous. Wonderful, I, wonderful. We mentioned uh, Chichester. Slocum. Slocum, O'Brien, Shackleton, anyone else that's uh, big? Well, let me say, the first, aside from Melville and uh, Slocum, yeah. I don't think anybody's very big at all. That Collecting nautical fiction is, is such a narrow uh, and ever-dwindling field. Again, I mean, if I could sell that stuff, I'd be happy to do it, but that's not what I'm selling. I'm selling mostly ephemeral and manuscript, one-of-a-kind material. That's what people, advanced collectors and institutions, are looking for. Not just in nautical, in everything. everything. They, they want unique yeah. items, yeah. don't they? So I, you know, I'm an opportunist. I'll buy anything in the Americana field, including wet books or wet manuscripts. But yeah, what the internet has done is probably your last 20 interviewees have told you it puts a premium on something that's unique. Mm-hmm. Yes, but they because have. otherwise there's 50 copies out there, and you're competing against. Yeah, and that's the story with nautical fiction. I'm I'm not interested in getting into that rat race. I mean, it used to be that if it was signed, well, that narrows it down. There aren't as many that are signed. Mm. Now you've just moved it one step further. Mm-hmm. I guess. Another box to click in the search filters, and boom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Right. That's not for me. I yeah. find it boring. What excites you most about uh, nautical books then? Wow, you know, I've never thought of that. And I do. As soon as you said that, I realized I, I really, this stuff turns me on. Yeah, well, hopefully it would, yeah. I think uh, there, there are two factors. One is personal, any kind of personal record that's told with any kind of depth or difference. I just bought a wonderful log book yesterday, and the reason I bought it was that the journey wasn't particularly unique, and he, there wasn't a lot of detail about that. But the guy who wrote it was so damn funny. He was right. just a character. And I said, man, I, I just like this voice. First of all, is it is a log just basically like a, a diary on board? Well, there, there, there what couple, else is in there? There are a couple of kinds. Uh, yeah. In a commercial voyage or in a military operation, you'd need to send a record back of where you went and what you did and why you did it. So you're Justifying the expense, partly, I uh, guess? uh, Certainly uh, in a commercial sense, yeah, Yeah. or where the whales were and where they weren't. Right. And in the military, you know, did he follow my orders or what happened out there that made him not and so forth and so on. So there's that kind of account. But then um, the captain or the mate or even common seaman, which is far less common and much more interesting, would uh, keep a record of, you know, their two-year journey to uh, China and back or something like that. So my diary, basically. Like a diary, yeah, yeah. more like a diary. Okay. So, And we still call them journals or blogs, but they're not of that official sort of kind. I see. So part of the excitement is the story of lives that are told that oh, see yeah, that's to an question. adventure, yeah. right? So the, the story component, personal adventure component is important, but also yeah. increasingly the visual aspect of this thing becomes what you need. Okay, so I've got a unique piece, but if it's completely inscrutable, it's going to take a lot more work for me to sell that dog than if it's got a, a, a breaching whale in yeah. full color on the, you know, if, if the guy... He drew it? or yeah, These sailors were artisans. They had a lot, a lot of time on their hands, and some of them 
uh, were very skilled. So you'll see a whaling log that's completely manuscript, and that's one sort of thing. There'll be another one beside it with uh, beautiful or humorous or wonderfully rendered uh, illustrations of this guy's adventures uh, chasing whales. And that'll bring five times the price of the unadorned one because of that visual component. So you begin to have get eyes for that kind of material. So there's, I guess there's a log that would have to be submitted, and then there's logs that they just keep for their own personal exactly. families and exactly. personal records. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, okay. the, the British Admiralty uh, kept them all. You couldn't keep your own. Oh, you weren't allowed yeah, you, to. No, you'd, you'd go on one of those uh, ex- Even if you wanted to give it to your wife. Mm-mm, couldn't no. do it. But they did, which okay. is great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, how do you get a hold of these? How do you find these? Are they common or not? No, no. No, they're not. But again, you know, I've got 40 years in the trade, and I, have, I do what I do, and, and that's how I am able to make my living because I can get this stuff. So it's who you know and who it's knows you. Partly that. And the yeah. other thing is, people sometimes say to me, gosh, you've got really great stuff. How do you get it? And I tell them, well, I pay retail. Right. <laughs> right. You know, That'll perk people's ears up. You want to get, get good stuff. You, you're going to pay for it. You can't be shy. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sometimes I'll, I'll flip stuff for a very low percentage, but I know I'm going to, I know I'm going to be able to sell it, so I buy it. Then, of course, there's the Titanic and disasters. That's pretty exciting. Does that got, excite you? Got shipwreck customers. Uh, the Titanic bores the pants off me. I generally don't have anything to do with it. It's just sort of like baseball memorabilia. It's too popular. <laughs> it, it sells, though. I suppose but it you does. But you don't sell stuff that excites you. I'm not selling it because it doesn't interest me. Okay. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio, have at it, boys. Not for me. No, but A Night to Remember, that's a, that was a pretty good book. Yeah, it was a good book, yeah. I read it. Yeah. I liked it okay. Okay. I sold it many times. What about, like, menus from ships? That must be neat. That's fun, yeah. I do that, some of that. Passenger you know, lists and... Those are, yeah, those are all sort of steamship-related yeah. things, yeah. and that's a subset all of its own that branches over into people who do food. Right? You asked me what the boundaries of this uh, maritime endeavor are, and boy, you know, it just gets, the, yeah, the closer yeah. you look, the, the broader it gets. So right. Sure, menus, absolutely. That works yeah. for you. Yeah, sometimes. Good ones. Okay. I'm just trying to figure out why, why someone would collect nautical. It's just their, their, the love of the, the sea, the, the fact they like yachting. What, what other factors? I, you know, not being a collector, I, I really don't know, but it seems to me that it's, it's, it's a sort of mental condition. I wouldn't call it exactly a disease, but it's definitely a condition that the satisfaction that you get from acquiring. Yeah, but that's a general, that's a general yeah, answer. Yeah. What, what about a specific to Ooh, I, Well, I suppose, you know, if, if you like sailboats. Right, right. Or, you know, or you're, you are a painter and you like ocean stuff. I mean, I've sold stuff to artists that they just collect, not to paint, but just because it's sort of the world that they move around in. What are some of the great publishers of nautical stuff? Like, was John Murray a big nautical publisher? Yeah, sure, and Bentley, uh, Phillips, 
some of the most interesting uh, publishers of nautical stuff are the people who write it themselves because it's they self-publish. It's not a, yeah, uh, totally, and and w <laughs> from way back, way before, uh, a, a very gifted artist named uh, Gilkerson, for example, was found endless ways to package and repackage his. Uh, his artwork and his historical research. He was very good at both of them, but he'd issue this limited edition and that limited edition. Norman Flaterman, a very clever fellow, his, his whaling book exists in, oh, three or four different iterations. Edward Rose Snow only wrote two books, but he used that material. He's got, he probably wrote 25 books, but they were really all the same. Yeah, I mean, just packaged differently. Yeah, yeah, or the same facts shuffled around a little bit, same old stories shuffled okay. around a little bit. Yeah, I mean, American uh, Harper, trying to see title pages now. Uh, oh, I but don't know. It's, there's no, there's no one that sort of specializes in nautical that. Uh, uh, there probably, there probably is, but yeah. I don't know what, I don't know who they are. Okay. Because I, I don't see stuff that way, and I'm less and less interested in books. Of course, yeah. Yeah, we should be changing the name of your organization, maybe. Your association of uh, oh, books, yeah, so you're not yeah. selling books anymore. No, you know, there are still some people who, who deal in modern first editions and yeah. rare books, and like my booth mate sells, uh, well, there are wet books, there are also white books, which are old things bound in vellum, because he sells old oh, books. Oh, I thought that might be about snow, but no. No, and brown books, yeah. You know. Brown books are yeah. like cow. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> I mean, you got to yeah, have artistic. some fun here, yeah, yeah, for just, sure. otherwise it gets boring. So anyway, uh, there are still people who sell books, but uh, by and large, the trade is kind of moving away from books because they're increasingly <laughs> difficult to sell. So yeah, I guess these ephemera shows are getting more and more popular. And now. how. Huh. I sort of got into the field in the middle of my career, and I've had the uh, pleasure of watching these shows fill up more and more with people who used to be exclusively book dealers yeah. and are getting more and more interested in ephemera because it's it's more interesting, it sells better. And again, uh, I, I just want to know where you source all of this stuff from. It it's, uh, sounds like it's if it's unique, it's it, like who's who's kept all of this stuff? That's an interesting process, and I don't know why stuff gets saved for me to find it, but I do know that when I find it and I figure out what it is and I place a value on it, yeah. I've commodified that thing and in a sense saved it for the record because now it has a value. If there's anything to justify this nonsense that we spend our whole lives doing, chasing this stuff, I think it's that, that, that we, we don't create the record, but we identify it and save it and make it available. And right. That's, that's culturally. That's an well. You put it in front of people who will do something with it, like, we, like we, preserve yep, it. Yep. We see and it, study it. We see it and recognize it and value it, and then it moves on to that chain that you're talking about. So there is some reason for our existence. What's the most beautiful, affordable type of nautical book you can imagine, or not imagine that you've just you've found? Like I'm thinking, maybe you know Moby Dick by the Aryan Press. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I like that one. I like the Rockwell Kent Moby. Yeah, I've got one in my booth now that uh, a, a living artist. I think it was probably a prospectus for trying to do a, a an Aryan Press Moby. It's, he's got twelve sample pages that he painted and drew and lettered himself, and that's beautiful. But I don't. I don't really. I don't really see books 
that way. You don't see them as beautiful? I mean, I read them. Yeah. I, I, okay. I'm not a, I'm, yeah. I, I don't have those kind of eyes, and I don't, that's just me. Okay. Um, just winding down here. I, I, it seems to me that the, the nautical, particularly the, the books that document various voyages, are, it, it holds the same fascination that space exploration holds. For sure, yeah, and uh, the like Arctic, the new the, world, you know, the, the polar stuff too. I mean, that was like moonshots hundred yeah. years ago. And yeah, now that you mention it, beautiful those antiquarian things with the big color plates and maps and charts. That, that certainly has an aesthetic component. But I don't know. I just I just don't see stuff that way. I don't know what it is. They're just a cold, hard businessman. I'm probably a, a moron. More or like limited, limited in my uh, abilities to perceive things and appreciate Beauty, things. Beauty, yeah. Beauty, yeah. What's okay. that? Uh-huh. You heard of the floating brothel, book by someone called Reese? The no. floating brothel. No, I never heard of it. I just, I don't know how I got, came across that, uh, but it just sounded really intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Well, but again, it would fit into your category. Well, I've got uh, on offer here at this book fair rules regulating prostitutes in Macau, and some of whom were floating. Those they called them. Uh, what did they call them? Flower boats. Right. So there, there, uh, prostitution has always been legal in in um, Macau, so they needed some way to regulate it. That's the kind of angle I'm coming in on, rather than. This book that this guy wrote, I don't. I, I yeah, don't, I'm not. I'm not seeing that. Yeah. I mean, I'm a reader. I like to read stuff, but when I'm looking for material to buy and sell, that's not how I see things. Well, prostitution and sailors go hand in hand. I'll say. So, have you got a lot of interesting stuff on prostitution? Like, it'd have to be in a port, of course. But well, I was port in the, of call. I was in the navy for four years. You were. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. There's yeah. a, I another I, possible I could have reason. Written, I could have written the book. Could you? <laughs> and what about venereal disease? There's another whole new category. Totally. But in all seriousness, uh, scurvy. Scurvy, yeah. Which, once they figured out how to not have guys get sick and die on these long voyages, yeah. we began to be able to explore the world in a much deeper, more meaningful, more penetrating, and more disastrous way. Yeah. So we can joke about the VD and all that kind of stuff, but scurvy is real and real important yeah. because we had to be able to figure that out before we could do what we did in terms of, you know... Destroying the world. Destroying the world, yes. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're getting this. You, you get a knack for this sort of thing. <laughs> Just finally, someone who wants to get into uh, collecting nautical, I know it's a huge area, but you got any advice for best place to start or what they might want to do, oh, where yeah. they might want to oh, go? Totally, they, yeah, yeah. I not, have... In terms of, like, just the love of the field, but also, I know investing is dangerous, but with that, all of that in mind. The Colorado Antiquarian Book Seminar trains people who want to become dealers to yeah. be dealers, but also... I'm uh, talking collectors, um, But also uh, advanced collectors or beginning collectors go through there, too, because okay. they can learn about the material that they're interested in collecting. Right. So I did a couple of turns there as a specialist dealer and a, and a, 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 a substitute teacher, and I wrote a, a book... Ah. A pamphlet of advice 
for beginning dealers, but I think it would apply equally to beginning collectors. And the book was called Don't Do It. It's Very good. It's just too hard. Is it a thin book? Yeah, 30, 30 pages perhaps, yeah. 30 pages of Don't Do It? Don't Do It. It's just too hard. Okay. But if you do do it, give me a call. I might have some books for you. Yeah, but but you weren't listening to my question. I was, I, I know, I was trying about, to get my own answer. I know. In there. I don't know. I was, Your I question was, was more boring than my answer. No, no. It was, it's like <laughs> people are interested in what they should collect. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. And, and you're an expert in the field. Well, and, what's uh, my advice to people? Maybe, maybe they, they want to make a little bit of a profit, or maybe not, but they want to know how to develop a really cool collection in okay. nautical okay. All right. books. I'll get serious with this. Yeah, thank you. We don't ever, ever talk about making money. money. No. Don't, okay. just don't, don't do, do that. it. No. Don't do it. No, just do it for fun. Yeah. And uh, number two, condition, <laughs> condition, condition. Okay. If you're interested in prostitution and you're buying books about venereal disease, make sure you get the best copy available even if you have to pay multiple times okay for that but that doesn't that's not nautical though no nautical is there like are there uh are there undervalued affordable books about the sea that you can that come to mind that no i really um again we're talking about books as opposed to manuscripts and ephemera that's me not listening now and the book the internet has somehow leveled that field to such an extent that maybe 50 years ago I could have told you that, you know, laureates, is, you're, they're the people to watch out for because they've got the... But now... Who? What? Oh, laureates, the, the publisher and, uh, and booksellers. Laureates in Boston, like that, a publishing company. Right? I see. They, they but now it doesn't, that doesn't... Doesn't hold. Doesn't mean, no, it doesn't mean anything uh, because the business has changed so much. The publishing business has changed so much. Okay. So are, are there any areas of maritime books that... Like beautiful ships that yeah. are hand-colored hand or something? That, that, that. No, no. Not that I know of. There's no okay. advantage. And, and, you know, the whole trend thing is so whimsical. Who would have thought uh, in the 60s that photography was going to be as big as it was? Or cartography or, you know, these yeah. things come and for reasons nobody really understands. They catch fire and... We all run around like fools chasing this kind of material. You're asking me what the next one is going to be? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm asking you if I'm a young, I'm listening to this, I'm interested in this whole field of nautical books, and I want to start accumulating a collection, where should I start? What are you interested in? I'm interested in lovely old ships. I would start there. But what books should I go after? Books about lovely old ships. Okay. You gotta follow. I mean, uh, seriously. Okay. You follow your own interest. You buy to condition. Yeah. And you don't think about it as an investment. Sure, it holds for any field that you're collecting in. But what I'd say to you as a beginning collector of nautical books is just exactly that. Okay, Nigel, what are you what are you really interested in here? What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Because the more specific you can collect around that, the more meaningful and strong your collection is going to be if you're buying to price or prettiness or something like this you're going to be all over the board and you're you know when your heirs and assigns have to take care of your the mess you've left them they're going to have a lot harder time disposing of it than if you'd really been disciplined followed your own interest 
we bought the condition and yeah. didn't think about didn't think about the inevitable what are, what are your ears and a sign's going to do with what you got okay so that's very good advice yeah, thank you very much for well, thank uh, you spending the time to talk appreciate it i'm yeah. sorry we uh, sorry we yeah we'll see how that uh, yeah. that transpires but uh, i've been speaking with greg gibson who is the proprietor of i never did uh, get 10 pound island book can i get a quick reason for the name 1976 i'm uh, living on centennial avenue in a third floor walk up overlooking Gloucester Harbor with my wife and infant son and I've been sucked into what I at that point realized with some alarm is going to be my trade for the rest of my life and I walk down to the harbor and I say all right what am I going to call this thing I look out in Gloucester Harbor and there's 10 pound island it's a hunk of granite it's been there for millions of years it's elemental and I say ah 10 pound island that's pretty good and all the wise old heads say, yeah, okay, kid, within three years, it'll be called Gregory Gibson Rare Books. And I never got there. It's, I'm still on 10-pound island, still on the island. And you'll be there forever? Well, in some sense, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. It's a lot of work, but uh, I'm still having fun. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Again. Thanks. Sorry, but hey, Doug, it's your turn. Come on down. <laughs> Want to do an interview? <laughs> Thanks, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.